Well, friends, uh, how shall we begin today? We have been doing a series on the New Testament book of John, but we're going to start with a different passage. We're actually going to start uh, with uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. Let me read it. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Um, without getting into a bunch of theology on the matter, uh, the last days has begun. And that's not like uh, my interpretation. That's You keep reading Acts chapter 2. It's, it, it began then. We are in this period the Bible knows as the last days. And with that, as we just read, there is an expectation, there is a promise, there is a word that God's spirit would be poured out upon us and we would experience his spirit in powerful ways. Here's something that sadly you might not have picked up in your Christian journey. God is to be experienced by us. Do you know that? Our Christian life is not only a set of doctrines and beliefs, which it is. It is to be experienced. Read the Bible and you'll see that. I will pour out my spirit on your, on your sons and daughters, on all people. Have that in your mind as I keep talking today. That's the promise that is the goal, that's the expectation, that we would experience God. And I begin with that, hopefully, as kind of an appetizer. Like, I want you to, to get a glimpse of this, and I want you to be thinking, yes, Lord, I want that. I want more of that. Maybe you have no idea what that means, to experience God, to, to experience God. I don't know if I've ever experienced that. I've done church. Maybe you feel like, yes, I've tasted, I know. No matter where you're at, we want more. Amen? Amen? We want more. We want to experience God more. And, well, God says he will pour out his spirit. And from that, I gather, it is to be not a small experience, but one of power. Something else here. This is a little more disappointing for me personally. Uh, <laughs> young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Um, it's a little disappointing because a few weeks ago I had a dream, so I don't know where that puts me. I think the language is hyperbolic, not hyperbolic, it's a literary form. I think both young and old men can dream dreams, so that's, that's how I'm going to, that's how I'm going to deal with that. But anyways, um, I did have a dream. I, I, I dream a lot, but usually the dreams are nonsense. Okay, I'm not someone who every time I have a dream, I have to like figure out like what does this mean? But sometimes there is a dream that I wake up and I feel like that was something. And a few weeks ago, let me tell you, the, there's a little more of a context. Uh, uh, John Stymus, I don't know if he's here today. John Stymus uh, gave me a brisket a while back ago, which is a very large piece of meat. And uh, I've really been wanting to get to know my neighbors better. And uh, I was talking with my neighbors, and 
I told them I was going to smoke this huge piece of meat, and they're going to come over to my house the next day. And so I was like, all right, I got to get this right. Now, a brisket is enormous, and the proper way to cook it, it takes a very long time to smoke it. And I, I mean, a brisket this size, I'm talking like 16 hours. So I got to do this the night before. So around midnight, I turn on my smoker outside, you know, the flame starts, and I put this huge piece of, of this beef in the smoker, and I go to bed because it's, you know, it's got to cook for a long time. And oh, around 3 a.m., I had this dream, and it wasn't complicated. I just remember uh, that uh, I was out, and it was winter, and I was on a lake, and, it, you know, it was frozen, and there was a crash, and uh, my little girl, Tovaya, uh, she, she fell through the ice. And it was really scary. And it was like, oh, I need to save her. And then I woke up. And that was, that was it. And uh, I was like, whoa, that was kind of scary. I don't know what that was. But then I got up and I looked out the window at 3 a.m., and there was no smoke coming out of my smoker. And I went down, and for some reason, the flame had got out. I don't know why, but if I didn't wake up, the meat would have spoiled, you know. So I was able to get the flame going, and it all worked out. My neighbors came over, got to know each other a little more. And I was thankful that the Lord woke me up so that I could... I was like, thankful that I got to share a meal with my neighbors. I'm thankful that this big piece of meat didn't go to waste. But I had this feeling like I think there's more to it than that. Like I don't totally know why I dreamed what I dreamed, but it, I just felt like there was more to it. There was something that the Lord was trying to say. All right. And then this week I was studying John chapter 11 and considering what is it that the Lord is leading us to. And I see this concept, this idea, we're being called, all of us, to wake up. To wake up, to wake up from something scary. And to wake up to save. It was just a small little illustration. I woke up from something scary, and I woke up to just save this, this you know, food so I could have a meal with friends, but all of us. Jesus has come, and he's calling us to wake up. And my hope and my prayer is we're going to experience experience. I said that word. We're going to experience that today. Father God, that's my prayer. You were the one that said you would pour out your spirit. And we are simply people that hear your word and say, yes, Lord. Do what you have spoken of among us today through your word, through your people. As it's in your name, amen. Okay, John chapter 11, wake up, wake up. Uh, we're going to begin uh, verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. 
He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. What? That's supposed to catch you right there. Lazarus, a beloved friend of Jesus, brother of Mary and Martha, beloved friends of Jesus, Lazarus gets sick. Mary and Martha send a message. The one you love is sick. Come and help him. It specifically says, because Jesus loved them, he didn't go right away. Because he loved them, he didn't do exactly what they asked in the way they asked it. He did go, yet not right away. Pay attention, friends. For God's beloved, we pray. And if he ever does not give us what we want, it's always because he wants to give us something better. That is always the case. So we pray, perhaps you have heard this. Jesus prayed this way. We make our requests known to God, and we say, Lord, not my will, but your will. And the reason we say that is because of trust. We trust in his love. We trust in his goodness. Lord, this is my request. This is my plan. This is what I want to work out. But I put it before your feet because I believe that your plan is better than mine. So when we say, Lord, not my will, but your will, we say this out of trust. Jesus had a better plan than Mary and Martha. So he doesn't go. Let's keep reading. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by the world's light. It is when a person walks at night is when they stumble. Okay, so let's break down what's going on here. Jesus is saying, we're going to go to Judea. We're going to go to Bethany. We're going to go wake up Lazarus. And his friends, the disciples, say, in case you forgot, last time we were there, they tried to stone you. So I don't think that's a very safe decision, right? <laughs> they were concerned for safety, for Jesus, and obviously for themselves. They were concerned about their safety going to a place that for good reason they considered to be dangerous. And Jesus gives a little bit of a Jesus-style answer 
to that concern. And he says, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they, <coughs> for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. So that, that's, again, one of those Jesus-style answers to a very worldly, real, reasonable concern. Uh, let's break it down. Uh, when I hear stumble, I think like you're walking, you kind of like slip a little, but then you keep going and you're fine. N not the best understanding of what the Greek word here means. To stumble meant like to fall. Like the word is also translated like to strike against. So we're talking about something more than just like, oh, you trip a little. It's like they're afraid of falling, of a sharp, hard fall. They're afraid of stumbling as in getting stoned, okay? They're concerned. They're worried. They're worried. And Jesus gives them an answer. They're scared. Here's something I should probably add. There are times when following Jesus will feel scary. Not maybe. Not, not maybe. Like, hey, if you decide to sign up and follow Jesus, you might experience some scary circumstances. Not maybe. This is, from my experience, pretty definite. This week, uh, the young adults, we were all hanging out together, and I asked everyone a question. What's this, what do you think is the scariest thing? What do you think is the scariest thing about following Jesus, about living for him? And really, um, the responses that I got were not surprising. I mean, the first thing, someone said, the judgment of people. People judging you. People who don't understand, people who misunderstand, people who perhaps have a wrong idea of what a Christian is. People find out I'm a Christian. They're going to judge you. Second one is, is really the same thing, just social, social rejection, being rejected by people. I mean, maybe, maybe that's not as scary as physically getting stoned, but to be honest, maybe it is. That's something that people really fear often to the core being judged and being rejected. And this is something that following Jesus pretty much always brings with it. I mean, Jesus kind of said this. Blessed are you when people reject you for my name's sake. And so we had this conversation about following Jesus, of how he calls us into something that feels scary. And by worldly accounts is scary. And so Jesus is responding to that. They're like, Jesus is saying, hey guys, follow me. We're going to Judea. And they're like, that sounds scary. And so we relate with that. Like, yeah, Jesus, sometimes following you sounds scary. And Jesus is saying to them, if you walk by light, you don't stumble. It's when you walk in the dark, that's when you stumble. Okay, so let's break that down again. Stumble means fall. You're afraid of falling, right? You think if you follow me, bad things are going to happen. You think if you follow me, you're going to fall. Well, it's really when you walk in the light, you don't fall. It's when you walk in the darkness, you fall. In other words, this is what Jesus is saying. The safest place for you to be is right behind me, following me. That's the safest place for you to be. 
If we're going to Judea, that's the safest place for you to be. And really, the Bible backs us up in lots of different ways. We can think of our friend Jonah. Remember him? Remember Jonah? Old Testament fellow? What did God tell him? Go to Nineveh, a city that was known for its violence, and go there and tell them that they need to repent because God's anger is stored up against them. Well, how's that going to work out? (laughs) Normal circumstances would say, that's a pretty scary option. That's a pretty scary mission, I would say. Well, as it turns out, it was more scary to not do it, right? As it turns out, the safer choice was going to Nineveh and refusing to follow God into Nineveh turned out to be more dangerous. You can read the story for yourself if you don't know it. Find the book of Jonah, Old Testament. Here's my point, and actually Jesus said it this way. And this is one of these moments that you're going to want to just listen because this is the words of the Lord. Do not fear those who can kill the body and nothing more. But I will tell you who you should fear. Fear him who, after death, has the authority to cast you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Sometimes I think that perhaps out of good motivations, people want to separate themselves from that aspect of the Christian message. And I think that is not productive, for one, and also just not faithful to what Jesus is saying here. Yes, I tell you. Yes, I tell you. Beloved, let's hear this and not push it away. Because this is part of what Jesus is trying to do, waking us up. Let's hear this and not push it away. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And when you see things in that perspective, you realize, okay, Jesus, following you into Judea sounds dangerous. Okay, Jesus, following you and getting judged by people, having friends and family perhaps reject me and not understand me and being judged, all of that sounds scary, Jesus. But you know what's more scary? Not following you. That's what's going on here. Jesus is saying, if you walk in the light, you're not going to fall. You're not going to fall. It's, it's when you don't walk in the light. That's when you stumble. So Jesus is saying, you're scared? Follow me. That's the safe option. And then, you know, they don't understand. Get to verse 11. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples, his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us go that we may die with him. Okay, so Thomas doesn't know what he's saying. Thomas Thomas doesn't get what's going on. The disciples don't get what's going on. Jesus is saying, I am going to wake Lazarus. And they don't get that. They don't understand it. And then he, I don't know if Jesus is getting frustrated. He just tells him plainly, he died and I'm going to wake him up. (laughs) Jesus now is just like speaking just totally plain. And he says, for your sake, so that you may believe. Here's something you're kind of supposed to read between the lines here. 
Who is it that really needs to get woken up in this story? It's the disciples. They're the ones. Jesus is saying, this is happening so that you would believe. They are the ones that need to get woken up. And you see this in different ways, but part of the reason, part of the way that you see that they need to wake up is because they're afraid. That fear comes from not seeing. It comes from not seeing the one who is with us. Without seeing the power and the life and the glory of the God, the Lord of hosts, the God of armies. There is nothing to fear if God is with us. They don't see that. They need to wake up to that reality. Wake up from, from, from what is actually scary, living in the darkness, and waking up to him and this mission that he has called us to. So, uh, at the young adult gathering uh, fellow, uh, kind of a new fellow, Daniel, he's here, I'm pointing him out, making him feel uncomfortable. Daniel, a new guy who recently started joining us, uh, we were talking about this, and he had uh, some really good insight. He said something to the tune of, when your fear when, with the fears we have, because we said, what's scary about following Jesus? And we all have these fears. He said, when your fear turns into faith, that is power. And that's the truth. All of that nervous energy, all of that, all of that fear gets transferred into bold power. And this is what my prayer for us is that we would wake up. I was talking to Jeff Day for the service today. I wanted to get this right. I said, French for wake up is uh, réveillez-vous. Réveillez-vous? Réveillez-toi? Réveillez-toi? Réveillez-vous? Réveillez-toi. Wake up! And he said, that's the word that you would use for revival? That's what we're talking about. Revival. When I say wake up, I want to see people who don't know the Lord wake up to know him. But when I speak of revival, I'm talking about the church, the disciples, waking up to power. Waking up to boldness. Let's keep going. Verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. 
I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Mary and Martha are contrasted here, and we've talked about that in the past. Just for time's sake, I'm going to leave that alone for a little bit, other than to say Martha was more of a stereotypical firstborn. Um, she's more stoic in her personality. Martha is, uh, Mary is more uh, outwardly emotional. But both of them are feeling the same thing. Both of them are feeling a confusion and perhaps a hurt as to why Jesus didn't come when they called, about why their prayers weren't answered in the way that they thought they would be. And Martha is giving here a religious answer that she doesn't totally believe that we're going to see later because she's the one that tries to keep Jesus from going and waking up Lazarus. But she gives an answer and she says, she says, I know that you can do whatever you want. The Father, uh, she says, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. She doesn't totally get that. She doesn't, she's not really woken up to the power of what that means. And uh, Jesus says, your brother will rise. And then she gives another truth. She says something that is absolutely, positively, uh, religiously true. She says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Let's talk about that for a moment. I don't know how much you know about the Christian message, but this is a really important fact. In the last day, there's a resurrection. We're going to see that later. Um, Jesus talked about it in John chapter 5. I'm going to read that passage later, but there's a, there's a resurrection coming, a future resurrection, a resurrection of everyone, the, the just and the unjust, as it says, the the resurrection to life and the resurrection to judgment. There's a, a resurrection at the last day. But that's only half of the truth when it comes to the resurrection because Jesus here corrects her. She says he will rise at the resurrection. And Jesus corrects her and says, I am the resurrection. What is he getting at? She's right. She is right. There is a resurrection that is coming. But what is she blind to? The resurrection that is now. She is missing what is right before her. And this is what everyone in the story needs to wake up to. Also, Martha needs to wake up. There is a power and a life that is here now for us to know, for us to experience resurrection power as our spirits are awakened, as our spirits wake up to the truth of God. That's why he says it. She doesn't understand. And then enter her sister Mary. After she had said this, she went back and called her, called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? So earlier, when Jesus showed up, if you recall, we read it, Martha came out to meet Jesus, and Mary stayed in the house. Mary, previously the one who sat at Jesus' feet, listening to his words, Mary's not coming out. Again, she didn't come out because she was hurt. You can understand the mentality. Oh, look who decides to show up. A little too late. I'm not going out there. You can understand Mary. But look at Jesus. Look at the, look at the shepherd heart of Jesus. Mary is in a funk. Mary is sitting in her despair and in her unbelief. And what does Jesus do? It would have been very easy for Jesus to say, she doesn't want to come meet me? Forget her. No, no. That's not the heart of our Lord. Instead, Jesus says, go and get her. He will come and find us. This is what he does for his little children. He'll come and find us. When we get off track, maybe you've experienced this, when we start to wander like a good shepherd, he comes and he finds us. It's what he does for his sheep. Anyways, he calls her. She comes along with a crowd. She says the same thing Martha said. Lord, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. Lord, if you would have been here like we asked you to, he wouldn't have died. And then the crowd is there saying, couldn't he have done something about it? You know, they're saying different things. Um, but the most striking part of this passage is verse 35. And the entirety of the verse just says, Jesus wept. Jesus begins to cry. And we probably should pause for a moment and just consider how, I don't have words for it, how wonderful and strange this is. Jesus is God incarnate. He's the son of God. And he is also God, the great I am from everlasting to everlasting, the creator of all things, the one who was not created, the one who has ever been. He is God. And on this occasion, he is brought to tears. The fact that God himself can be brought to tears is both wonderful and strange. And it certainly causes us to ask the question, what makes God cry, right? What makes God cry? And sadly, I think this passage has been misunderstood. I think a lot of people see it as Jesus simply feeling the compassion of the crowd and, you know, weeping along with those who weep. 
And there might be an, an element of truth to this, as in many people have said, everyone is sad, everyone is grieving because of Lazarus and Jesus, he feels our pain. Maybe, maybe there's an element of that. Sometimes when we cry, there, it's complicated, right? Sometimes, sometimes you cry in circumstances you don't expect to cry. It just stirs up within you, so it's not as simple as just maybe one thing or, or, or another thing. But if Jesus is crying because he feels the empathy of the crowd, I don't think that's the whole of it. When you look at the whole chapter, what's going on? And when you look at the whole mission of God, what's going on? What is he trying to do? He's trying to give to us himself. He is trying to give us life, resurrection life, joy, fountains of living water. He has come to give us everything in the knowledge of himself. And he's there. He's there in the midst of his disciples and Mary and Martha in the crowd. He's there. Fullness of joy. And all of them are weeping in despair. All of them are blind. He's there wanting to give them everything. And they're sleeping. And they're not willing. They're, they're not willing. They're not able to take it. It's the same thing that brings Jesus to tears when he comes to Jerusalem. And he says, so much I've wanted to take you, but you wouldn't. So much I've wanted to, to bring you in like a, like a mother hen with her chicks, but you wouldn't. He's weeping because he wants to give them life. And as of now, they're still sleeping. They don't see it. So, Verse 38, once more, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Verse 38, Jesus once more deeply moved. Uh, the word deeply moved there, it speaks of not only just emotion, but actually frustration, anger. It's Jesus angry at a situation um, I'm sure that is in part the death and the reality of death caused by sin in the world, but even more so the blindness of everyone there. Jesus is there with them. If Jesus is with you, there's never reason for despair. I've talked about this before, and I hope you catch it. 
despair is the opposite of faith in so many ways. When people are going through tragedy or extreme hardship, very often my advice is do not give in to despair because it's a lie. And you have all these people that are in despair, even though Jesus is with them. Jesus is angry. Jesus is weeping at their inability to see the gift that is there. And so he goes. Martha is like, don't go in there, don't go in there, don't go in there. Jesus says uh, what has to be one of my favorite lines from the Bible. Didn't I tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? Jesus is calling us. And maybe you don't see it now. Maybe you hear my words. Maybe you've read the Bible a time or two, heard some of the scriptures. You know some Christians. But you don't feel like you see, right? You don't feel like you really see this glory and this power. My advice to you is believe. Didn't I tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? Come to him. Look to him. Come to him and believe. And the promises you will see, you will experience. The Christian life is one to be experienced as God is pouring out his spirit on his people. Lazarus gets up. Jesus says, wake up. Wake up. Get up. Lazarus gets up. And he's still kind of wrapped and he's still blind. And Jesus says, take off, take off his grave garments. Get that thing off his face so he can see. And here's my understanding of this Christian life that we're in. This is a process that we're in. Just like Lazarus of getting out of the grave and then having the grave clothes taken off. We're in this process of waking up and seeing more and more we're being transformed from glory to glory. Now we see as, as, a, as in a dimly mirror, but then we will see. My prayer for us, my, my prayer for us, my prayer for myself, my prayer for us is that we would see more. We would see more. We would wake up more. When I talk about waking up, when I talk about waking up, I want you thinking, yeah, that's me. I want to wake up to see more. I want to wake up to experience more, more boldness, more joy, more of the fruit of the Spirit, if you know what that is, more of the gifts of the Spirit, if you know what those are. More. Wake up. As, as, as these grave clothes fall off of us, and actually... At the end of the service, I'm going to, and I think God's going to bless this, I'm going to provide a, a means. Uh, I'm going to provide a means by which perhaps you can come and be further or maybe even for the first time woken up. Um, I'm going to read one more verse, and this is, this is what, John, what Jesus said earlier what John 11 is connected to, because, because Jesus said, wake up, Lazarus, right? Lazarus was sleeping, so to speak. Wake up. 
that is pointing to something. The waking up of Lazarus is pointing to something. Um, John chapter 5, verse 25 to 29. Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. So that's, that's speaking of that future resurrection, right? There is a resurrection of all people. All people in the graves will hear his voice. Just like Jesus said to Lazarus, hey, wake up. All people, there's going to be a time. You're going to be fast asleep, right? There's going to be a time when everyone is going to wake up. And for some, that's going to be a really good day. For others, it's going to be waking up. It's not going to be pleasant. It's going to be bad. Uh, that's, that's what it says. Uh, just do we see this with, with gospel ears, when Jesus says those who have done good, what that means is those who have come to him by faith doesn't mean that you've lived this life where you can list all these things where it's like, I think I've done more good than bad. That's not the Christian way of thinking, is it? What it means is, well, you can actually see what it means earlier. Um, I, I, I read it. Maybe you caught it. Maybe not. Uh, verse 25, he says, very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come. You see this? See this? There, there's, there's two aspects of this resurrection. I talked about this earlier. Two, two aspects. There is a future resurrection, Right? There is a day on the calendar. We don't know when. No one knows the day or the hour. There's a time coming when everyone who is in the grave will hear his voice and wake up. That's going to happen. But Jesus is saying, there is a time coming, yes, and has now come. It's also now. It's also now. Do you hear his voice now? Now do you hear his voice? And are you being woken up now? And here's a, a, a truth, a reality that I really hope you hear. If you're not waking up now, the future wake up is not going to be a good day for you. Hear that. If you are not hearing his voice now and waking up, it's going to be not good in the future. Now. A time is coming and is now here. Hear his voice and wake up. That's what he's saying. Wake up to this truth. There is a God who is good, who is loving, who cares, who has joy forevermore at his right hands, who has a better plan for your life than you do. A better plan. A more pleasing and joyful plan. Come to him. Be forgiven. Be forgiven. It's free. It's free of charge. Come to him. Anyone come. Sinners, you can come. Really, really bad sinners, you can come. Come to him now. Don't refuse. Don't push it away. Now is the time to wake up. Again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to... I think God is going to provide a means for us to come and be woken up today, even more so. Uh, first, I'm going to pray. Pastor Cheryl is going to come up. We're having a conversation. I suspect you might have some questions today. Um, and then we'll, we'll, we'll go on with the service. Father God, ah, revive us. Wake us up to more of you. Pour out your spirit among us so that we see you, so we hear your voice now and wake up to believing. Wake up to life Wake up to joy, peace, patience, kindness, love, the fruit of the Spirit. Lord, wake up to 
power, the gifts of the Spirit. Lord, wake us up now. Wake up your bride. Wake up your church. And wake us up so that we may go and save. Wake us up to save, Lord. Uh, we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that, Charlie. That was really, really challenging. <laughs> um, this is the time of our service where we do a question and answer period. Uh, so if you have any questions, we have someone who's running around with a mic, so you can raise your hand in the room. Or... No worries. Uh, yeah, I'm just like, I'm, I'm talking too loud. Uh, what, what? Pass the other mic. Oh, to you. All right. Uh, so if you have questions, could be. Um, if you have questions in the room, we will get a mic to you shortly. If you uh, would like to ask a question and you're in the room and too shy to ask in person or you're watching online, uh, we have a number on the screen that you can text your questions to. I'll receive that on my phone and we'll uh, ask Charlie about stuff that, so that we can go deeper in this topic. Are there any questions in the room? Just raise your hand. I see a couple this way. Hi, good morning, Pastor. Uh, my question is, uh, if we believe that we are living in the last days, do you believe also that the rapture is about to happen for the church? Because the rapture is the resurrection also of the dead. So the question is, uh, do I believe the rapture is about to happen? Um, that's a, uh, the word rapture, that's a, a, a longer conversation. The simple answer is yes, I do believe that. I absolutely believe that. And we're all supposed to believe the, the time is coming and Jesus says, I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. We don't know what that means, but it means soon. Once it gets here, we're going to be like, that was quick. <laughs> uh, but the word rapture, uh, actually, there is a little bit of a debate within Christianity of how the rapture takes place. And uh, the word rapture means taken by Jesus. And um, the specifics of the nature of the rapture is a longer conversation. Some people believe that there's going to be a secret rapture where Jesus first takes his church and then there's a, a tribulation. Some people think we're all going to experience this great tribulation and then Jesus is going to come and take his church at the same time as Judgment Day. We're not going to get into that conversation right now because it's a long one other than to say I think you can really make some good arguments either way on that question. But yeah, yeah, I believe that the time is soon and we need to be ready uh, yeah. You're welcome. Coming to you, Jeremy. <laughs> Thanks, Charlie. It's good to see you this morning. Um, I have a question and sort of a request. So I have a friend that's very close to me. This is a person who, when I came to Westview, helped me to immerse myself more deeply into my faith. 
this is an issue that we both struggle with and an issue that I think a lot of people struggle with but don't talk too much about. Um, fear is good when it brings you to faith, but I find that when you come into faith, you struggle with a sense of your own assurance of salvation. And I feel that over and over and over again, we're told you have to have this kind of emotional connection, you have to have this kind of a faith outpouring, you need to be able to speak in tongues in some uh, circles. Uh, there's always these prerequisites after the fact of believing in Jesus. And I think what is happening is, sadly, we start to question whether or not we have the signs that we're saved. Sometimes we won't have enough fruit. Sometimes we need to determine how much fruit is enough fruit. And we get wrapped up into this constant circle of doubt, and then it spirals into this fatalistic thinking that I've experienced, I'm sure you've experienced, and that my friend is ultimately experiencing. And I guess my question and my request for you is to encourage this person. Because I think we do, and I think anyone who's hearing this, who is feeling this way, needs to be encouraged in this way to know that their salvation is assured. I'm not talking about somebody who has no faith, who's simply putting on a performance. I'm talking about somebody who wants Jesus yeah. and needs that encouragement. Okay, very, very good question and, and, and request. Uh, so what Jeremy is saying here is he's experienced, and it's true, I have as well, He's experienced what many Christians experience, Christians who believe the message. They believe that they're sinners. They believe that Jesus is a savior. They believe those things, but they still worry, what if my faith isn't good enough? What if I'm not good enough? What if I'm not truly one of the saved people? And the fear comes in different forms, but what it amounts to is not feeling a sense of God's love and security, right? That's the concern. Though we try and, and maybe we're looking for this evidence or that evidence and, well, I'm glad you asked that because it is truly at the heart of what I am talking about today when I say, wake up. This is the doctrinal truth that we confess. As in, these are the theological facts that we hold to. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's no exceptions to that. The Bible talks about people who believe but they don't really believe and perhaps that's our concern of like, what, am, what if I'm one of those people that believe but don't really believe? Those people that believe but don't really believe, what they're doing is external religious things but in their heart they don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. They don't really believe. But now I'm speaking to the little children, as in those who believe. In your heart, you believe that you're, you're a sinner. He's a savior. He died for our sins. He rose from the dead. Now, here is a theological fact. If you believe that, even with a mustard seed of faith, you don't need, you don't need this huge level of faith. You can't be like, oh, what if I don't have enough? It's not about that. If you have a mustard seed of faith that he died for your sins and he rose from your dead, and rose from the dead, you will be saved. This is, this is biblically true. God's not a liar. If you confess your mouth, Jesus is the Lord, and you believe in your heart, God raised from the dead, you will be saved. Okay, now, good. That's a theological truth. But here's the problem. For, for, for Jeremy's experienced it, his friends experienced it, I've experienced it. Well, I know that's a theological truth. At least I can nod my head. 
I don't feel it. I don't feel that it applies to me. And that, and that is why I want to have this discussion today about waking up. What is it that God wants to give us? He wants to give us himself. The Holy Spirit, pouring out a spirit. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of truth. Did you know that? The spirit of truth. As in this theological truth that we confess would fill us. So it's not just like a truth that I, that I have in my mind somewhere. It's a truth that's overflowing out of me. Where the truth of my salvation, the truth of a God of love, the truth of joy forevermore, it's not, it's not just a distant theological truth. It's, it's an experienced reality. That's what we're longing for. That's what we're saying, Lord, help me. So I think a, a first step, if you experience that, is to go to God and say, Lord, help me. Help me. I, I want to know your salvation. I want to know this power. Uh, what did Jesus say? What did he say? You, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, right? How much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? It's, it's, it's experiencing God. And, and yeah, I hunger for that. If you don't feel the love, if you don't feel the assurance, go to him and say, Lord, I, I need you. I want you. I can tell you theologically, if you believe you have salvation, but I know what it, all, all I can say is I know what it means to doubt that. I know what it means to walk in fear. But when the church experiences that truth, experiences the reality of that, that is where, uh, as Daniel said last week, that is where our fear combined with faith turns into power. Encouraging. Uh, we have a question over here. We're going to take a minute to get to the mic, the mic over there. Yeah, this will be the last question. Sorry, I'm giving long answers today. Yes, uh, my question is, uh, it's kind of a follow-up question to what was asked before. It's, uh, do you choose God or does God choose you? Seems to me that the Spirit of God moves differently in different people. Seems um, to me that way. Do you choose God or does God choose you? Yes. Uh, yes and yes. <laughs> uh, uh, yes and yes and uh um, the way that I read the Bible, um, God chooses us before we choose him, but I know some Christians that uh, disagree with me on that matter. I think they're great people, but I think they're wrong. <laughs> but that's okay. That's part, of, uh, that's, that, that's part of the dinnertime conversations we can have as Christians. But from the way that I see the Bible uh, is uh, Jesus said, no one can come to me unless my father draws him. Uh, absolutely, God has to do a work inside of someone in order for them to turn to him in faith. That's, uh, but once more, that, that question, the, the heart of that question is something that Christians have been debating for a long time. Uh, but yeah, I hope that answers your question. Uh, yeah. Great question. I'm Charlie close us off. Yeah, yeah, thank time. you. Because uh, um, like I said, I've been asking 
God to wake us up as a church. I've been talking about for a while, not just today, when I, when I say that my prayer is for revival, I envision a church that is bold, courageous, um, feeling the love of God and telling others, experiencing the power of God through signs, wonders, healings, miracles, and evangelism, and people who were living selfish lives now living lives of selflessness enjoy for his namesake. I envision a church, church woken up to revival. And when you look at the scriptures, God pouring out his spirit with power, when you look at it, sometimes people receive the Holy Spirit just while someone is speaking. Sometimes just God's word is being spoken and the Holy Spirit falls on people. Other times, other times, someone is getting baptized. As they're getting baptized, the Holy Spirit falls on someone with power. He's, the Holy Spirit does as he wishes. But sometimes, and this is what we're going to do today, God willing, my prayer is we're going we're gonna to experience this. Sometimes, often actually in the scriptures, people receive the Holy Spirit with power when hands are laid on them. So what's going to happen during these last few songs is I've invited the prayer team to come up. They're going to be on different sides. And you know something? If, if you're, you're a, a, a leader in the church or an elder, you're, you're certainly invited to do this also. Um, during the music, you can come up and the prayer team, you don't have to say anything. If, if you feel this hunger, this I want to wake up more, come and they'll lay hands on you and they'll pray. Later, afterwards, if there's something going on in your life that you want to talk about, that you can, you can come and do that like we usually do. For now, it's just the prayer to wake up, to see more, to experience more for revival in your own life, for power. Doesn't matter who you are, where you're at, if you want Jesus, if you want to hear his voice, see the glory, come up. And, and you know what? If you come up, and they lay hands on you. They, they did this for me, actually, earlier today. And you want to stay up there and lay hands on others and pray, you're welcome to do that. Um, anytime during the music, anytime you're during the music, uh, come up.